Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. So the story goes that there is this this uh, uh, wealthy uh, Texan uh, oil man, and so. Um, one day he invites his pastor to his house for dinner, and so the pastor is there with him. And, and after dinner, they go out to the patio, and, and the um, rich um, oil man, he uh, is, I would say, trying to impress the pastor. And so he says, look over that way, and he points towards the north area, and he simply says, all those oil wells are mine. Every single one of them is mine. And then he looks the opposite direction, and he says, and look in that direction, all, all those cattle that you see roaming out there, all those cattle, those are mine. I started with one or two, and now I have hundreds of cattle. And then he looks in the other direction, and he looks at the pastor, and he says, uh, look at all those fields in, in, in the forest area. All that is mine. And then he looks in another direction, and he says, and everything that way is mine. And as he's, he's so impressed with himself, and he's telling the story to the pastor about everything Everything that's his, he pauses and he, and he waits for the pastor possibly to compliment him in regards to his great success. And so instead, the pastor, what he does, he leans into the guy and he places one hand on one shoulder and he takes the other hand, he points the other hand upward and he says, but how much do you have in this direction? pointing like this. How much do you have in this direction? It was a moment for the rich man to pause, and, and the rich oil man, he, he hung his head, and he says, I never, I never thought of it. I never thought of it like that. And, and the point of sharing the story is that I think that sometimes I, uh, myself and maybe you as well, that we get, we get kind of caught up or we get lost in regards, to, in, in regards to our priority, in regards to where is it that we're investing our time and what is it that we find ourselves investing our time in. For some of us, unfortunately, we invest more time in things of this world than things that really matter. We invest too much time in things of this world than, than things that really matter. You see, I think that we've, we've collected our earthly and material treasures. I, I, I know that for myself, for example, some people might say, uh, well, Pastor Kevin, you spent a lot of time yesterday out taking care of your home. I'm getting ready for the winter time. And so that's my investment. That's my largest investment. And so yesterday I was stacking wood and, and I was cleaning the leaves and I did my last lawn cut and my trim and I sat back and I, and I was kind of proud of myself saying, look at this. this, this is nice. And I put some pictures up on Facebook and a, f- a few folks commented and says, boy, the lawn looks nice. And I'm like, yeah, that's mine. You know, that's, that's mine. That's, that's my, my earthly treasure. Maybe it's, it's my, my vehicle, my car, or, or even my children who I'm so proud of. That's my earthly treasure. But still, I think that God is asking me as well. He says, but, but PK, how much time are you investing in things that really matter? And that's the challenge, that's the question that I want us to consider today. To look at those things that we've collected here and we treasure so much and then try to see where we might be out of balance in regards to our investment into the things that really, that really matter. There's a scripture text in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth." In vermin, destroy. That word vermin, what is vermin? 
When you read scripture and you see things like that, and there's this word where, where moth and vermin. And so when Jesus was writing this text right here in Matthew, it's in reference to those who, who, who grew a lot of uh, crops and things like that. And vermin simply is, is wild animals or pests that would destroy, that would eat up crops and just destroy. So, so when he says in vermin, he's talking about the, 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 the wild animals that they would destroy. And then he goes and he says, and where thieves will break and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And then in Hebrews 13, 5, the scripture says, keep your lives free from the love of money and, and, and content with what you have because God says, never, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Matthew 6, 24, and then it says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and you'll love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both, both God and money. You can't serve both God and money. And so as I think about these scripture texts and I think about our overall text in Revelation chapter, uh, Re Revelation chapter 3, uh, again, is, is making reference to how much that we have invested in things of this world, but again, our lack of investment in the things that really matter, in the things that really matter. And so, and so the thing that really matter, let me just cut quick to it. The thing that really matters is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Our relationship with Jesus Christ is that which really matters. Our relationship with Jesus Christ, I believe, is the most precious thing that we can ever have. It's the most precious, more precious than my vehicle, more precious than my car, more precious than my children, my relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this is the situation that we have here in our text, the, the church of Laodicea, is that these folks, they, 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 they feel like they had it all together. The church of Laodicea was a unique church. Jesus has written several letters to the different churches, and this is, this is the last letter that's written. It's written to the church from Laodicea. And, and, and I think the same thing that Jesus is saying to the church of Laodicea, that he's speaking to us today, the church of Western New York, he's speaking to us, uh, the church of New York. He's speaking to us, the church, those who are gathering here at New Story. And at the same time, as he spoke to them years and years ago, he's saying, folks, he's saying, we've neglected the things that's most, that's most important. You see, the Laodicean church was, was wealthy from the perspective of the world, but it was worthless in the perspective or the eyes of Jesus. And today we're going to take a look again at this church where the scriptures makes reference and says that, that Jesus was so upset with the church and he uses this strong language and he says that Jesus was so upset with the church that it makes him want to puke. Now that's serious. That Jesus is so upset with his people, with the church, that, that he wants to vomit, he wants to puke. And, 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 and that's what he's saying to us, to us today. He's saying, church, wake up. He's saying, church, get your, get your act together. He's saying, he's saying church, because, because we, we have our priorities in the wrong area. 
And what we do sometimes when we have our priorities mixed up and we, we come up with all these excuses or we come up with all these reasons why or we have all these, all these, these buts and later we're going to see a video that makes reference to all the buts or all the excuses that get in our way in regards to us not prioritizing things the way that they should be prioritized. We have various Excuses and these are excuses, or these are the things that make Jesus that makes Jesus sick to the point that he wants to he wants to puke. Let me pause and join me in a word of prayer. Our Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word today, and today is one of those lessons to the church that you want us to hear. That in all the stuff that we have going on, all the things that we consider that is good. Uh, some of those things, as, as you look at them, and that we should look at them, that they're out of proportion, and it makes you want to, to puke. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us this day to see those blind spots, those areas that, that we, we are not aware of, that we're, we're working towards, and, and we, we believe it's good things, and some of the things are good, but again, there's just a, a, a misappropriation that, that is just out of balance. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to myself and each one who is here, that we would be able to uh, have this as a time of reflection and say, uh, well, what about, what about me? And not just what about me, but what is it that I need to do uh, to make things different? It's in your name that I pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, please uh, open to uh, Revelation chapter 3, and I'm going to read this passage. You can read along, uh, look at your Bible, your device, whatever you're, you're using. The, to the church of Laodicea, chapter 3, starting at verse 14, the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I do not need anything, but you do not realize that you are wretched. You are pitiful. You are poor. You are blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me the refined gold that's refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's a commentary um, written on Revelation. There's many commentaries. And um, one of the commentators, John MacArthur, he says this about Revelation, specifically in regards to the Laodicean church. He says that it's the last of the churches written by Christ. And then he says it's the worst of the churches written by Christ. 
Some of the story or backstory with the Laodicean church in Laodicea, it was, it was located a, a hundred miles uh, east of, of Ephesus. And Laodicea, simply put, was a wealthy community. Uh, it was wealthy because of its banking industry, and so a lot that had to do with finances went through Laodicea. It was wealthy because of its wool industry, that it, it made fine clothing. It was wealthy because it was known as to be a, a, a medical center, kind of like, like Roswell Park, a premier area for medical centers. They had discovered this salve that was used for, for in, infections, like, like, like for ear infections or for, or for eye infections. And, and, and so Laosadil was wealthy in many ways, and, and Laosadil was located in this plateau area. Uh, it, it, it was a beautiful town. It was a luscious town. It was a wealthy town, a rich town. And everyone who, 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 who had something, uh, most likely they were they were at Laosidea, but Laosidea, one of the negative things about it, because of its location, it had terrible water. It had a bad water supply. Uh, Wilm Barclay, in his commentary of Revelation, this is what he says. He says, Laosidea could boast that it was rich and had amassed great wealth and had need for nothing. It was so wealthy so wealthy that it not even needed God. It not even needed God. And so, and so the scripture, now let's look at the scripture right here. So that's the backstory in regards to them. A very wealthy community, uh, and so wealthy to the point that they feel like they can do it all themselves, and, and they didn't need the assistance of God. And so starting at verse 14 of our text, the scripture says, these are the words of the amen, the faithful, the true, and the witness. The word amen here refers to something that's true, that's something that certain, something that's inexchangeable, is making reference to an Old Testament text in Isaiah 65 that it describes God in regards to himself, and it's basically saying that you can count on me, you can count on me because what I say is true, because what I say is accurate. And so what Jesus is saying, that this is an accurate assessment of the church. This is a, an accurate assessment of the church. And then he calls himself the ruler of God's creation. And again, he's letting folks know, he says, I'm in charge. You see, sometimes we get it confused and we think that we're the ones who are in charge. This is my life. I'm in charge of my life. I make the decisions. I do what I want to do. But the Texas remind us that Jesus is saying that, that I am truth and I am the ruler of God's creation. Therefore, I am in charge. He's letting us know, setting the stage that he has the right to speak into our lives. He has the right to speak into our lives. You see, lots of people today, I believe, we believe that, again, that, that we are the ones who are in charge. But the book of Revelation is clearly teaching that Jesus Christ, he's the one who's in charge. And then the scripture continues and he says, I know your deeds in verse 15. I know your deeds. And if you're living the way that Jesus wants you to live and you hear a statement like that, that I know your deeds, you're saying, well, I feel okay about myself then because I know my deeds or what I'm doing is okay in the sight of the Lord. But then again, let's switch that a little bit. If you're living in a way that you know that you believe that God does not want us to live our lives, and you hear a text like this where Jesus says, I know your deeds, that should put you, that puts me in a place that I kind of tremble. Because when I think about that, and I see this text and it says, I know your deeds, I know some of the things that I do, parts of my life that I don't want anyone else to find out about. Because see, I'm too, I'm a sinful person. And so when I see this, that it says, I know your deeds, and I believe that Jesus Christ is the truth, and that Jesus knows everything, 
it just overwhelms me and say that, boy, I got some things I need to get straight. There are some things in my life I need to get right because it says that Jesus Christ is saying, I know your deeds. And, 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 and then Jesus goes on. He says, you know what, PK? He says, there's times in your life that you're neither hot or you're neither cold. He's saying that to the church. He's saying that to not just to me. He's saying that to you as well. He says, I know your deeds. And in me knowing your deeds, me having a fair assessment, because again, I'm in charge. And I know that you're, there's times that you're neither hot nor cold. And then he says, but I wish that you're either one or the other, because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, that I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Wow that it makes him wants to puke because he knows the details of my life. He knows what I'm doing at times when someone else isn't watching. He knows what I'm doing in regards to the disproportionate time that I might be spending in regards to intimacy with him, building my relationship with him, that I'm spending too much time on Facebook. I'm spending too much time on the PlayStation. I'm spending too much time working on my Etsy shop. I'm spending too much time on all these other things that really doesn't matter in the big picture. He says, I know your deeds, Pastor Kevin. I know your deeds, Church of New Story Church. And it's to the point that you're neither hot nor are you cold. It's just got this moving inside of me that, that I just want to puke. I just feel like I need to vomit, that I need to throw, I need to throw up because you are you are lukewarm. Now, I've heard this passage preached several times, and in other ways I've heard it preached, it's talking about you're not hot for Jesus, you're not cold for Jesus, and, and you need to serve him, you can't serve the devil, and, and there's a lot of different uh, takeaways, or, but here, that's not what really he's talking about, and so I'm hoping that I can bring a little more clarity to this text, that when he talks about this hot or cold, and this lukewarmness, it has to do with the water supply. Remember, I made reference to that a little bit earlier. And so here's the situation. The, the, the Laosidian church is located in this valley. And about uh, uh, six miles away, it's now called Turkey, the, this town had this, this water supply that where the water is real hot. And, and with the water being very hot, it had a therapeutic effect. So people who are sick or, you know, you have sore muscles, you want to go to the sauna or something like that, they will go in these pools of water and they will go there for comfort. They'll go there for healing. And so this is about six miles uh, away from Laosidia. And then on the other side, another 10 miles, there's this another town, and it had this water supply that's very cold. And this cold water was some, some of the best water for drinking. It was refreshing. And so the Laosidian church, they didn't have a good water supply, so what they would do is that they would pipe the water from the one town that was hot and the other town that was cold. But what happened as the water was coming into Laosidia, the water would get contaminated and the distance that the water had to travel, the water, once it arrived to Laosidia, the water then wasn't hot, nor was it cold. The water was lukewarm. And so for the people in Laosidia, they wanted to have that hot water. They wanted to have that cold water. But the time that it arrived to them, the water was lukewarm. And so the water itself, the water itself was, was useless. 
It was useless. It, 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 it had no the real purpose for the water. It, it didn't have the benefit of what, they were, of what they were looking for. They couldn't drink the water. Can you ever drink something that's warm, a hot summer day, and you want to be refreshed? And it's like, ooh, I love to have that Pepsi. I, I just want to quench my thirst or whatever. And then the, the Pepsi, you open it. It doesn't have the fizz. It's flat, and it, it does nothing for you, Okay. That's kind of like what the water was like once it got there. If you want to quench your, ver- your thirst, it, it was no longer cold. And, and, and so this is the situation. This is what Jesus is making, is making reference to. And so, and so Jesus, he's saying to the church, he's saying, saying to the congregation, he says, it's kind of like, like drinking water. By the time it gets here, it's, it's of no good. It's useless. And, and, and he says, I, I wish that the water was, was helpful like it was from its original destination. I wish that the water was delightful. I wish that the water was cold for the people up in Colossae where the water was cold, but instead it's lukewarm, and and by the time it gets to us, it it, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth to the point that it makes me me want to, to puke. It makes me want to puke. There's a book that I read some years ago that made reference to this lukewarm picture that I'm trying to paint for us as Jesus has painted for us as well. Francis Chan, he wrote a book some years ago called Crazy Love. And in in the book Crazy Love, he titled a chapter or a portion of it is is Overwhelmed by the Relentlessness of God. And in chapter four, he has this discussion about what does lukewarm people look like. And I thought it was interesting that I took five of those points and I says, maybe this is a description of what lukewarm Christians look like today. This is what sometimes when I reflect on myself and my life, this is what lukewarmness looks like. And so I I want us to church today to take a look as you see these five different points about what does a lukewarm person look like to ask yourself, perhaps that's me that I see some similarities in my life. And and so once we identify the problem, now we know what we need to address. Now we know what we need to fix. And so Francis Chan, the first thing he says in this chapter here, in chapter four of his book, he says, uh, lukewarm people go to church because it's what good Christians are supposed to do. But their heart's really not into it. You're neither hot, you're neither cold. It's kind of like a show that we show up to church because, well, my friend's doing it, and that seems to be the end thing to do right now. But I'm really not going there for the right reasons. I'm, I, I'm not going there, and I'm not getting out of it what the church is intended to be in regards to. We come to church not, not because our friends are there, not because there's a, a play group of kids that I want to get connected with, not because uh, there's a bunch of Bills fans. Go Bills, yay, I'm a Raider fan. Uh, I, that's not why we go to church, okay? We're not going to church for that reason. We're going to church because we love God. We're going to church because we want to serve God. We go to church to offer for our worship to him. But lukewarm Christians go to church because, ah, it's just a thing to do. Everybody else is doing it. Sometimes that might describe you as it sometimes describes me. The second thing that Francis Chan says is that lukewarm people really don't want to be saved from their sin. They only want to be saved from the penalty of sin. 
You see, we're not sorry because we know that our sin is so offensive. We're not sorry because we know that our sin just disgusts God. We're not sorry because, because we're sorry because, because we want to save, be saved from the penalty of sin. Uh, it, it, that's what we got it mixed up. We're, we're messed up. There's, I remember once I was confronted by my grandma um, because I was detained by mall security. Now, that's a whole nother story. Uh, and so my grandma, she confronts me, and when she addressed me uh, um, uh, in that moment, I had one of the most pathetic and sorrowful looks on my face. At least that was my plan. I was very apologetic towards my grandma trying to get out of trouble, but my grandma, she wasn't fooled. Uh, she says, you know, Kev, she says, you're not sorry. She says, you're not sorry. She says, what, what's happened is that you're sorry because you got caught. Okay, I wasn't remorseful because of the deed or what I was involved in. I was more sorry because I got caught. And so when I got caught, and I was kind of a mischievous kid, I knew that after getting busted, what came next? Uh, the discipline. The discipline. That's why I was sorry, not because of what I was doing. I was sorry because I got busted. And I knew that because of my behavior, there was going to be a penalty. There's going to be punishment. That's why I was sorry. Lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They want to be saved from the discipline. They want to be saved from the penalty, the penalty of sin. Number three, lukewarm observations. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbors and their friends because they don't want to be rejected. And they don't want people to think that they are weird. So if we were to take a survey and ask the pointed question, when was the last time you shared Jesus Christ with someone? What would the survey results look like? Now, sometimes we get mixed up or we get confused and we say, well, well, I don't know all the scriptures. Well, you don't need to know all the scriptures. Uh, all you need to do is know your story. That's all you need to know. This is my story. And my story has a picture of what my life was like before Jesus and now what my life is like after Jesus. That's all we need to share with people. That's it. Now, if we know a scripture reference, yeah, we throw in a scripture reference, and we support that. But we support that scripture reference through our life. That's what, that's what people are going to notice more so. That's what they're going to remember more so. Not the scripture text that we share with them. They're going to remember, what did PK's life look like? Is his life consistent with that which he's saying? And so when we're sharing the gospel with others, I think the gospel, a big part of the gospel is our lifestyle. Don't get hung up. Don't get caught up and say, well, I don't know all the scriptures or whatever. Well, it's great if we did know the scriptures, so maybe we put down our, our, our Instagram accounts or whatever and spend more time in scripture memory or Bible memory. That would be helpful, but you don't need to know all the scriptures, okay? Just know your story, and hopefully there's a market difference between before Christ and after Christ. And so Francis Chan is reminding us that, that lukewarm people, they're, they're neither hot nor they're cold. They're not sharing their faith with folks, and they have all these excuses. They have all these buts, and, but people are going to think I'm weird. People are going to think I'm the strange one, and, and they're not going to invite me over for the, for the picnic and stuff like that. There's all the excuses that we use to keep us in this, in this state of being lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. Matthew 10.32 says, Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown them before my Father in heaven. Lukewarm observations. Number four, 
Lukewarm people do the bare minimum to keep from feeling guilty. Lukewarm people do the bare minimum to keep from feeling guilty. They ask, how much, how much do I have to give? You know, we take an offering at church to support the ministries of the church, and, and we're more concerned on, uh, on how much do I have to give versus how much can I give. There's a big difference, what I have to give and what I can give, okay? But lukewarm Christians are more concerned on the, on the latter versus the former, that, that I, I possibly can give more. Lukewarm Christians ask, how far can I go? You know, we're, we're thinking about this situation possibly, and just imagine you're in this dating relationship, and lukewarm Christian says, how far can I go to having a physical relationship with this person? That's the question we're asking. That's not the question that we should be asking. Instead, we should be asking, how is it, Lord, that I can keep my body cure, pure because it's the temple of the Holy Spirit? But lukewarm people, they're pushing it to the, to the limits in this dating relationship. And, 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 and what can I do? What can I get away with before I've, I've crossed the line? Versus saying, again, my body is a temple of the Lord. I need to preserve it. I need to keep it. Okay. Lukewarm people do the bare minimum to keep from feeling guilty. How much time should I spend praying in saying, boy, I really look forward to all this extra time and I cleared my calendar and I'm just going to pray as long as the Spirit leads me or I'm just going to sit in silence and hear from the Lord. Lukewarm people do the bare minimum to keep from feeling guilty. And lastly, Francis Chan says that lukewarm people feel secure because they call Christ their Lord. We have this false sense of security because we claim Jesus Christ as being our Lord. Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, this is just a brief, quick overview of what Francis is talking about, what lukewarm Christians look like. And, and I would hope that, that as I was reading this and you're possibly reflecting, that you're giving yourself an honest assessment in regards to, boy, what area in my life, if it's these five or possibly somewhere else, that Jesus is saying, boy, I really, I really feel like I need to puke. I really feel like, like I need to, to, to vomit. And, and, and you see, and here's the deal. I say that we need to be honest with ourselves because remember earlier in, the, in our scripture text, there's that verse that where Jesus, he talks about I am, that I am the, the, the creation, I'm in charge, I'm the ruler. And then he goes on and he says, I know your deeds. And so if we're not being honest with ourselves, God already knows. And so we're not fooling no one. But we get caught, we get caught in, this, in this game. Um, Jesus says, I, I know your deeds. And this is what he's talking to about with the church of Laodicea. He's saying, folks, I know your deeds. You're kind of like you're mixed up. You're, you're thinking because you're so wealthy, because you have this, and because, and because you have that, you're, you're in this place of denial. And because you're in this place of denial, uh, um, you don't want to work on what needs to be worked on. And so, and so the people of Laodicea, I'm rich, I've re acquired great wealth, and in the church of Laodicea, they says, I don't need a thing. 
I don't need a thing. And they're saying that to God. They're saying, I do not need a thing. I'm self-sufficient. I can do it myself. And Jesus, he reminds them in verse 17, verse B, he says, he says, you do not realize that you are wretched. You do not realize that, that you are pitiful. You do not realize that you are poor, that you are blind, that you are naked. The Laodiceans thought because of their, their wealth that they had all these banks and, and they had the, the wool clothing, they had everything. But Jesus is saying, but you're poor because of your sin. You're wealthy in the eyes of, of the world. But, but in regards to spiritual matters, Jesus reminding the church, he's letting us know, he's saying, Pastor Kevin, he's saying, church, a new story. We are poor because of our sinful hearts, because of our sinful nature, because of those things that we involve ourselves in and we don't want to let them go. He's reminding Remind us that you're poor in the Laosodians. They again they're they're holding on to we got these eye ointments, we got we got this healing salve, we 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 have this wool, we have this clothing. And Jesus again, he says, in the eyes of the Lord, he says, He says, You are naked. You are naked. But here's the good news. There's always a good good side of uh, of God's stories uh, of Jesus when he's talking. The, the good side is that is that Jesus, we know that that He is compassionate. We know that Jesus that that He's compassionate, and, and so Jesus He He gives us a way out. In verse eighteen, He says, "I counsel you to buy for me the gold refined by fire, so you can become rich, and the white clothes to wear, so you can." cover your shameful nakedness in the in the salve or the ointment to put on your eyes so you can so you can see what Jesus is saying he's saying he's saying church he says he says come to me and I will give you the gold the gold of your salvation so that you can be truly rich he says come to me for the white clothes and the white clothes that he's making reference to he's talking about come to me for righteousness come for me for ointment he's talking about a healing of, of your spiritual of our spiritual our spiritual blindness. And then he tells us in verse 19, he says, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. Those who I love, I rebuke and I discipline. Look at that again, church. Those who I love is saying that Jesus loves you. Because he loves you so much, he can speak into our lives. Because he loves us so much, he can point out things in our lives that's wrong. And then he says, I'm not just going to point it out to you. He says, here's a time of discipline. And discipline only happens because I love you so much. And just the opposite, if I didn't love you, I would not discipline you. I would allow you to continue living that sinful life. I'll allow you to continue in those ways that's not, that's not righteous, those ways that's not. But I love you. But I love you, and therefore I'm going to point these things out, and I'm going to, to discipline you. There's a, a worship song that was, came out some years ago, and some of you know the song. It was written by David Crowder. And this is a song, How He Loves. And some of the, the verses goes, He is jealous for me. Like a hurricane, I am a tree, bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy, when all of a sudden I am aware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are forming. And then the chorus, and oh, how he loves us so, how he loves us, how he loves us all, and then it repeats itself. And so, and so again, there's hope for us that, that Jesus loves us in spite of who we are, in spite of us being lukewarm people, in 
spite of not being hot or not being cold for us, uh, for him, he still, he still loves us. And you know, when I hear stuff like this, I say, you know, it it just blows my mind because I don't get it that Jesus knows my deeds. And he knows that, that, that there's still work to be done. But he hasn't given up on me. He hasn't given up on the church. He hasn't given up on new story. He knows our deeds, but, but he, still, he still loves us. He still loves us. In Jeremiah 31.3, it says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's a love that's never ending. That's a love that will continue, that will continue. And then there's this picture, and there's a, this verse that, again, I think we take out of context, but it's Revelation 3.20, and we're familiar with this verse. Uh, this is where Jesus is talking to the church, and he says, church, you still need to repent. And then it's this verse that says, um, uh, I stand at the door and knock. Now, here's the picture here. Jesus, he, he's, he's literally outside, outside of the church, that I stand at the door and knock, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm waiting to come in too. I'm waiting to come and be a part of your life. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And so the observation here, you have to read Revelation chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 2 to appreciate Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation chapter 1, Jesus, the scripture reminds us that Jesus is standing among the churches. And and then in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is walking among the churches. And then in Revelation chapter 3, he's outside of the church. And so that's where he's using this language that that I'm on the outside, I'm at the door, and I'm knocking, and I want to come inside the church. I want to come inside the church. I want to come inside and be part of your your life. That's encouraging. That in spite of what Jesus, Jesus knows about us, he doesn't give up. In spite of what Jesus knows about us, Jesus does not give up. I stand at your heart door and knock. It makes reference to that he's continually knocking. He's continually knocking. Even now, he's knocking at the door of our life, and he says, if you open the door, I will come in, and I will sup, or I will eat with you. And so how do I, that brings us to the end here, how do I stay hot for Jesus? Or how do I stay cold for Jesus? And I have one simple solution to it. It's just being connected, being connected with God, being connected with Jesus. And so some of us, we might say, what is your devotion life like? What is your intimacy with God like? What, what does the time, what does it look like spending with God? And so some people have different formulas or what they do. The first thing in the morning, uh, I'm going to read a Bible text possibly. The first thing in the morning, I'm going to listen to a a worship song. The first thing in the morning, I'm going to do something to get my mind set on the Lord. Okay? And so if you want to get hot for Jesus, if you want to be cold for Jesus, you don't want to be lukewarm, I say the answer is that you just need to redirect some of the time in your day. You have 24 hours. How much time of that 24 hours is spent in regards to being devoted to Christ Jesus? Be honest with yourself. And so if you want to be hot, if you want to get cold, I think that's the starting point for all of us. And so if you're doing one minute, 
challenge yourself. Make it two minutes. If you're doing 10 minutes, challenge yourself. Make it 15 minutes. If you're doing no minutes, well, you, you can only go up, okay? You can only go up, okay? We, we all start somewhere. And no matter where you are, there's room for improvement. There's room for improvement for all of us, okay? And so just, just, just get on board with it and say, and say I don't want to be that person, I don't want to be that person that Jesus is talking about spewing, vomiting, and spitting. That's not, that's not who I want, I want to be. So spend time. Spend time with Jesus.